Hello, hello, hello. My name is Courtney Turner, and you are listening to Bluegrass Community Foundation's Do Good Radio Hour. Today's guest is the newest member of the BGCF team and arguably the most fashionable. I mean, she seriously like shines every time she walks into a room. She is a Knight Foundation Civic Impact Fellow here at BGCF, and she is a true force to be reckoned with. I'm serious. Sit down. If you have like an hour, hour and a half, go sit down, get a cup of coffee, just Google her because you are going to be so impressed by not only her resume and like how beautiful she is. It's ridiculous, but also just her passion for the things that she does and the things that she wants to do and the people around her. She is just a gem and I'm so excited to have her here. Here is Hadil Abdallah. There was somebody that showed a TikTok of, like, two creators in New York. Um, one of them was, like, hugging his tripod, and the other one was making a dance in front of, like, Hermes or whatever. And they, they, they're like, those people probably make more than us in an hour than we do, like, in a month. So Easy. You were not here for Good Giving Challenge last year, were you? No. <sighs> we get real TikTok heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a TikTok every day. Wow. To the point where I was doing, like, the Mean Girls Christmas dance (laughs) in, like, right in front of the, um, you know, you know, where the, where the law takes place. The courthouse. Yeah, where the law takes place. (laughs) And people were honking and I'm like, hey, I couldn't do it. I appreciate people like that, but it's not for me. No, I think it's a talent, actually. It's a skill to be able to, like, be able to overcome that, like, social anxiety. Because I'm sure every person feels it and they just have to... And not even, like, the social aspect of it, but, like, curating all of that content and being on 24-7. It's very mentally exhausting. I can't I feel like these TikTok creators, like, when they end up getting help, I'm sure it's much more relieving for them. But imagine waking up every day needing to curate this life. You might be, like, butt exhausted. Correct. You have to put, like, seven pounds of concealer on just to look like a normal human being again because you're so tired. And then, like, setting up your ring light so that you can get out of bed. Yeah. No, that's a different experience. Bless them. Not for me. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm very excited and doing well. How are you? I'm doing so well. I feel like getting you in here has been nearly impossible because you are (laughs) so busy. Has that been something that has followed you your whole life? Like, do you enjoy being a busy person? I don't necessarily know if it's... I think it's more that I take on so many interests, like things that are interesting to me, like Mm -hmm. I just can't say no to. I do have to say no sometimes, but for the most part, if I'm like, this is something extremely fascinating and I want to do it and it can fit into my schedule, then why Mm -hmm. not? But sometimes the unfortunate aspect of that is that it leaves less room for flexibility and things like this that I really want to do, but that, you know, I already gave my commitment to other Mm -hmm. stuff. What does your sleep schedule look like for real? Um, honestly, sometimes, like, I'm great. I'll go to bed at, like, 1130, and I'll be very good about that. Other times, you can catch me up at, like, max nowadays, like, 3 in the morning. Gosh. And I'll still have to wake up early the next day, but then I'll take a nap midday, so I'll be fine. Oh, that's the best. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so before we really talk about, like, who you are and what you do at BGCF, let's go way back. Okay. You... (laughs) Were born and raised here in Lexington, correct? I was born in Philly, actually, in oh. Philadelphia. Yeah. When did you come to Lexington? <laughs> uh, I my family moved to Lexington when I think it, I was. It was right before I started kindergarten. Yeah. Oh, okay, so, so you I were was a raised tot. here. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you went to UK. Yes. Which is not abnormal for like students who are raised in Lexington, but you had like a rocket ship impact at UK. You like started a scholarship. We're going to get into all of these scholarships that you got personally because I'm like blown away. But <laughs> tell me a little bit about the scholarship that you started at UK. Yeah, the Bilal Ibn Rabah scholarship. Um, I think that piqued my interest when I was a sophomore in college because um, I got involved with the Muslim Student Association when I was a freshman because my three older brothers who also went to UK were involved with the MSA. So naturally, as a younger sibling, I was like... Are you the baby? I have a younger sister. Okay. So we're the two young, yeah. the two youngest. But um, oldest daughter vibes still. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I saw my brothers really involved with the MSA, so I wanted to be involved. And then that same year, unfortunately, there were... You know, that was when the Syrian refugee crisis mm. was at its peak, and a lot of refugees were coming to Lexington. I had gotten to know this young woman um, who was around my age, and I asked her what college she wanted to go to, and she said that her parents were saving up to send her brothers to school, but they were waiting to sort of, you know, see if she can get married so that, you know, it wouldn't be as big of a burden, which, understandable, Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, people have to do unfortunate things to survive. So, you know, that was really difficult to hear and kind of looking someone in the eyes who's like the exact same age as you, seemingly comes from a similar background as you, you know, already kind of, I don't know, like, you know, seeing someone in the same age struggle that way was hard. Um, So that kind of um, pushed me to get a bit more involved. And uh, during the MSA, we fundraised, we gave, like, I think... Don't quote me on this, but it, I think it was over 15000 I have to double-check the numbers. Or I think it was 25000 but we gave 15000 to Kentucky Refugee Ministries and 15000 to the Islamic Society of Central Kentucky Refugee Resettlement mm-hmm. Program. Um, and I saw how impactful that was. So then I really want to focus on women's education. 
went to the vice mayor's office, which I was already working with vice mayor Steve Kay and Nathan Dickerson, who were both wonderful human beings. Um, and they were really supportive of the initiative. They advised me to get other senior philanthropic imp- um, partners involved mm-hmm. within the Lexington community. Eventually, I went to the mosque, and the first mosque in Lexington is called the Bilal Ibn Rabah Mosque. Mm. And it was started by two African-American Muslims in Lexington, and it expanded to be the big, beautiful mosque it is today on Russell K. Road. Right. So I wanted to kind of do something in the spirit of community, and I really wanted everyone to feel like this was theirs just as much as it was mine or anyone mm-hmm. else who donated to it, even if they didn't have the finances to donate. I just wanted them to own it. Right. Um, so that's kind of how that idea started. And thankfully, we had so much success that we were able to expand the terms for it. Mm. And not only provide funding for refugee women, which is the initial intention, but it grew into providing funding for undocumented students who, as many of us know, can't apply for federal funding or any sort of most scholarship um, assistance requires that you're a citizen. So, you know, that opened a lot of doors for people and it prevented debt, which is, you know, the whole idea. Yes. Is that scholarship still up and running? Yeah. Yeah. We've awarded... I think over 22 students at this point. Oh my goodness. Yeah. When does that, do you, how involved are you in <laughs> now that you've like created this and curated it? Have you like stepped away at all and kind of handed it over or are you that person? I've tried to step away. Girl, we know. <laughs> we but, know you can't. <laughs> but I, the reason why I haven't is because, you know, fundraising is so much about relationships. Right. And it's not one of those things where it's not a role where you could really hand over to someone else and just kind of expect people to not necessarily trust them, but sort of, you know, the the people I initially asked to donate were people who became really interested in donating to Bilal after I got the Truman and Rhodes Scholarship. Right. So there was a sort of legitimacy around that. Uh-huh. And what I've actually been working on a lot this year is kind of how do I, how do you make something that is meant for community survive and thrive beyond just you as mm. an individual mm-hmm. and that's been the approach that i've tried to take with the Bilal scholarship for sure if there are people listening who are interested in like learning more about how to be involved with the scholarship or maybe even thinking about applying where can they go yeah so for anyone interested in applying they can always reach out either to me or to the philanthropy office at uk um, they can email Dana Cox at uky.edu, or just to make sure they have her email correct, you could just put Dana Cox UKY or Dawn Witt UKY. They'll be happy to send over an application. Any student at any level at UK could apply. Um, anyone who wants to get more involved with Bilal is always feel, you know, can always reach out to me, hadil at bgcf.org, or um, if they want to just donate, we have, if you put Bilal Ibn Rabah Scholarship UKY into Google, you can automatically donate on there. Fantastic. Okay, let's get into like some, I mean, that is juicy, but like in my brain, this is the juiciest thing to ever happen. I cannot believe. You have a Rhodes Scholar. You are a Rhodes Scholar. That's you. <laughs> is that what we say? Like you are a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah. You are also a Truman Scholar. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... The only thing that I know about either of those is in Legally Blonde, the musical, <laughs> there is a song where he goes, I have a Fulbright and a Rhodes. So then I heard that you were a Rhodes Scholar and I was like, oh my gosh, she can sing that. Like she's allowed to sing that song and mean it. Do you wake up every day and say, I did that? <laughs> Courtney. 
like you have to. I would wake up every day and be like, look at you. Oh, you're so, oh my God, you're so funny. No, I think, you know, this is a great conversation because it just reminds you to be grateful, you know? <laughs> Stop and smell the roses for uh-huh. real. Um, no, I really do thank God every day. I really do. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for the roads. I think it was what the roads made me realize about life because in the U.S., you know, you join a thousand student organizations, you're involved in right. every little thing that piques your interest. You have classes, you have Starbucks in between classes, you have things that are always just getting your attention, yeah. right? Yeah. Oxford is the complete opposite of that. I went over there and it was pure silence most of the time. Was that nice? Uh, you know, as a 20-something-year-old uh, that yeah. didn't really meditate that much, <laughs> you know, I did my daily prayers as, like, a Muslim, but, you know, I didn't really, like, I wasn't one of the girlies who kind of would, like, sit there and be like, right. breathe in, breathe out, the uh-huh. way I do now. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that silence is actually kind of scary for me because right. I was just used to, I felt like, you know, then my role was to be a giver and help and I also had my family around me. So when mm. I was done with UK, I would actually commute back home. And I live with oh, a huge family. Yeah. I have three older brothers, younger sister. All of us were living together at the time. So there was always something fun going on. Yeah. Um, so if you've never like lived outside of home, and I have. Like, I mean, I did trips here and there, like two to three months at a time. But I always knew I was going home. Right. Going to grad school and kind of experiencing that life with like no family and kind of treating everyone like family because that's all you know was mm-hmm. really really different but also so valuable in my growth as a person just getting to know yourself away from everything that you thought you were supposed to be but also appreciating those nuances as well right so it's just a lot of self-reflection and how long growing. were you at Roxford Roxford that's what I would call it <laughs> Roxford University. How long were you at Oxford? Um, I was there from, let me think, September, and then the pandemic happened in March, right? Like, Stop. Is that why you yeah. had to, like, come home? Yeah, yeah. So the, the pandemic happened, and then I came home either March or April, I have to remember. Yeah, March or April. I came home for six and a half months, and then I went back. Okay. So, and I went back and forth a few times because... <laughs> The scholars who were my year either, like, finished and then just never came back. (laughs) Um, Some people just decided to do, like, a a small, I guess, took a hiatus and then came back a couple years later. So I was there, I would think, I would say in totality for maybe, like, two-ish years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I watched the video of you getting the Truman Scholar because (laughs) so fun. Oh, my gosh. How does this even happen? In my high school, college career... This wasn't even something I thought about. It, it just wasn't an option. So do they just, like, call you up and be like, surprise, you've won this? Or do you apply? Or oh. what? How does this even happen? Yeah, you know, it all kind of happened very, you know, I just think it, you know, it's all happened by chance. Like, in mm-hmm. high school, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't all that ambitious, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of just wanted to live a life where I was surrounded by family and friends and I want to grow up and have a baby or two and mm-hmm. call it a life you know yeah. 
But when I got to college, I think what really motivated me is that I just was exposed to so many things I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So I was exposed to so much that I didn't know was out there before. And I always loved reading. But then that during that time, I remember I just would like I would pick up and read everything. And I yeah. was like, wow, this is a possibility. This is a possibility. Combine that with ADHD and there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> it all uh, works out. It all works out. So so I learned about uh, the Truman Scholarship um, and the public service component. And mm-hmm. I think that meshed so well with everything else that I was already doing. So I was like, you know, why not apply? And it 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 is a rigorous process. I had a lot of incredible mentors helped me along the way. Like I remember Dr. Clayton Tyne, Miss Melody Flowers, Dr. Pat Whitlow, you know, there were just a few, Dr. Philip Kramer, just a few among the many, many, many people who were there throughout my journey, Dr. Wendy Liu. And, you know, when you have mentors invest in you that way, sometimes mm-hmm. they point out to you what you don't see in yourself. Yeah. And I think that just, it just helped me blossom and it opened so many doors that I, I didn't know were there before. Now, kind of tell us how that transitioned into what you're doing now. So explain what your position is, if you even can, at BGCF. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that sounds funny, but it really is just like a vast, very open <laughs> position title, I guess. Yeah. Tell us, tell us your thoughts. What yeah. So, I mean... I am a Knight Foundation Civic Engagement Fellow at the Bluegrass Community Foundation. And I essentially just take on a lot of the community engagement roles. So one of the things I do is actually help steward the Bilal Scholarship. Um, I look for donors to assist with that. I'm helping set up like our annual fundraising dinners. Again, trying to kind of create like that institutional memory, which I think is super important um, for the Bilal Scholarship within UK. One of the other things that I'm really proud of that I've been working on, um, slash helping out with, is the Undesigned the Redline event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the Color of Law event with Richard Rothstein. So a lot of things around sort of racial justice, um, kind of talking about historical memory in Lexington and how we sort of associate that with our roles, like mm-hmm. as people who live here, especially people who are like from more privileged um, backgrounds or socioeconomic statuses and kind of engaging the community in that way in an honest and fruitful way and looking at how we can help. Um, and it's been nice because that's kind of led me to other projects. You know, right now we're working with the Housing Commission at potential ways we can help young um, young couples, young, uh, young professionals mm-hmm. buy their first homes. And we looked at all the ways in which gentrification and redlining play a role in that, not just for low-income families, but low-income, or I'm sorry, middle-earning income, mm. young professionals who come from historically marginalized backgrounds. So right. it's, it's, it's kind of like a combination of like the life of the mind and also doing social good. And when you combine those two, it creates for a very fruitful work experience because no day, no one day is like the other. And that's part of one of the things I, I think I enjoy about working at BGCF. That leads me into my next question. Like, perfect. It's almost like you knew what questions I was going to ask you. <laughs> what does an average day look like for you? Because you are always just like moving and grooving and stopping in the office, but then like you got to go. So tell us what that looks like for you. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me think of an example of a day. So a day like today, uh, or um, even yesterday, we had a meeting with the Housing Commission um, with one, and also with one of city, city council member representatives. Mm-hmm. And we involved 
I think, several organizations from the community to come in and talk about housing, uh, the housing crisis in Lexington, because there are more people than homes now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people who work in Lexington are being forced to move out of Lexington, and then they would have to commute here to work and then commute back home. And you see traffic now. It right. takes 30 minutes for me to get from home to work now and it would have used to have taken like 10 to 15 you know so can you imagine that somebody on a low-income salary already having to do twice the amount of work right and a lot of the time it's hard labor so just putting that into perspective for city council is extremely important and thankfully we have some really progressive members on there who are actively Mm -hmm. aware of this and proactively trying to to help out so just being part of a long-term solution I think is super important and um, a lot of what I do is kind of helping lay the groundwork for mm. these initiatives. Some of them are brand new, like this one. Others um, have already been there, but kind of just, I guess I, I get pulled in to kind of give my perspective and my background and my educational and work mm-hmm. experience. Um, so, yeah, we'll have something like that, and then I'll have something. And then, you know, an hour or so later, I'll have a meeting with the Fund for Greater Lexington team. We'll talk about you know, what's happening in Lexington, two very exciting projects that I can't necessarily announce yet. (laughs) But um, that's very also very exciting. And then just kind of catching up uh, team members on what we're doing, leading a lot of meetings um, for events like Undesign the Red Line Mm -hmm. or the Color of Law event um, with youth, with certain community members to just get them involved. So it's a lot of really just remembering to remember Um, because I think that's kind of what makes a successful job. And you kind of always have to pour into yourself so that you could be on. So I I make sure to take those proper breaks in between so that I can give it my best effort. Yes. Yeah. Now, did you kind of explain to me how this came to be? Did you get started with the Knight Foundation or did you get connected with our fearless leader, Lisa, and she like (laughs) did magic that she does? How did this happen? Yeah, so I've known Lisa for since I was a junior in college, so maybe like four or five years mm-hmm. now. It kind of like just because the Bilal, the Bilal Scholarship is housed at BGCF. Yep. And so um, I was working I was working with Mr. Don Wood at UK Philanthropy, and he and I and Lisa were having a conversation. I told her I was coming back to Lexington, and she asked me what I was interested in doing, and she's like, perfect, that aligns with what we need at BGCF, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it happened. That's a dream. Yeah. Now... What do you consider like your biggest hope or maybe even, dare I say, a goal? What are you wanting out of the work that you're doing right now, specifically when, I mean, globally educated, very well traveled? What are you wanting to bring to Lexington that kind of shows the impact of all of those things? Wow, Courtney, not a hard question yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, you know, I think... More than anything, I want what I'm helping out with to last whether or not I'm there. Mm-hmm. So especially as it relates to, because I've had so much experience with the Bilal Scholarship, I realized that one of the most important things you could do is have a, like learn how to pass things on to the next person. Um, but that involves a lot of nurturing yeah. and, you know, kind of overseeing while also giving people the space to do what they believe is best because Mm -hmm. that is why you're ultimately handing things over to them. So I think more than anything, I just want the work that I'm doing to be deeply intentional, deeply meaningful. And the outcome 
I've come to learn is actually none of my business. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. I, 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 I'm genuinely just concerned about the present. Of course, I think about the future, but I can only worry about the future in the sense that of how I how I imagine the like the present to mm-hmm. be you know because like would you say that Lexington is anything now like it was like five years ago right absolutely not yeah. so right now I'm like you know if you have a, a great foundation and you have built enough support and capacity for people later to come along and pick this thing up I mm-hmm. think you've done a great job and I, I, as long as you know I'm around whether I'm physically in Lexington or not I will always make myself accessible to whoever is here like mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite things um, about being in Lexington because I feel like we are big enough to where you don't necessarily know everybody but if you need to yep. someone can always connect you and people are usually really willing to help mm-hmm. do you consider yourself a perfectionist <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Does that make it hard to be like, that's none of my business? Um, I think from a spiritual perspective, uh, actually, it, it doesn't. because, uh-huh. And I think that that's kind of what my Oxford experience taught me. Like, even educationally, you don't, you put in the work and the effort, but you really don't have any control over your outcome, especially because, like, the UK master's programs... Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on who you ask, but in some people's opinions, it's highly subjective. You right. Could, you could put your best effort forward and someone just may not like it. And that could affect right. your your grade or your outcome in that program. But at the end of the day, you won't fail if you do your best. And I think that that's, even if it feels like you did in that moment, it doesn't mean long term that that's going to be, that's all your, that's the pattern you're going to see in your life. If anything, I think it builds resilience. So, um I don't know if that answers the question. No, but I love that. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we go into segment two, I, I want to squeeze this in really quick. Yeah. You are also a filmmaker of sorts. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I really enjoyed the filmmaking aspect. And I think that that was nurtured while I was doing my master's program. Mm-hmm. I was at the, for my second year, I did a master's program in the public policy, the Blavatnik School of Government public policy program. And my mentor told me that one of the initiatives or what her dissertation was about was the super nanny and how that Uh informed child rearing policy in the United Kingdom. And so when she told me about that, she told me about that after I told her I wanted to see how culture and filmmaking impacted our policies because of interactions I used to have with staff when I worked on the Hill, when I interned on the Hill. Mm -hmm. I worked interned on the Hill twice, two different summers, and each time, if a staff member didn't know something about, like, you know, my Palestinian culture or my Muslim background, they they would reference a movie, and you, uh. yeah, and they wouldn't. You don't realize like how much our policymaking is impacted by culture until you meet the people who are helping Doing make the policies. <laughs> yeah, because right. it's not your member, Congress member, most of the time. It's the people who work for them that advise them. Right. So if those people go home, turn on Netflix, and they don't see really good films yep. about <laughs> representation. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's going to impact, you know, the, the, the quality of, of their policies and what they're putting out. Ah. So I, I, I'm also very like artistically inclined and I just loved the idea of kind of combining the two. And mm-hmm. I think it also, you know, life doesn't have to be so linear. I don't, yeah. you know, so I filmmaking kind of came about for me in that way. 
Mm-mm-mm. Okay, we're going to actually do like a speed round on this. Every episode, we like to do a thing I call BGCF Fast Facts, which oh is gosh. where I'm going to ask you a question. Without thinking about it too much, you're mm-hmm. going to give me the first answer that pops up. Are you ready? Yes. What are you reading right now? The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> it also like breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. How far in to it are you i'm about done okay how yeah. are you feeling so far her books make me cry it's so i mean she was so sad yes but like the book is so sad and her work is so rich yes and to think that she was nearly our age it's disgusting yeah yeah <laughs> um, sometimes i read her and i'm like i've done nothing mm. i've done nothing because she was just a genius. But, you know, she felt the same way about herself. Yes. And that kind of shows you how we sort of internalize all these things. Like these, I think it's also, it's deeply patriarchal. Like, yep, for sure. Um, to feel that way. Because we also don't recognize how much weight we're holding until yes. we look at other women who are doing certain things. And you're like, how can you say that? Correct. Yeah. Girl, Road Scholar, <laughs> Truman Scholar. I was like, geez. Uh, what are you watching right now? Ooh, um, I just started watching Suits again. Everyone is watching Suits. (laughs) This is the third time that somebody has been in here and they said that they're watching Suits. Oh, and I watched the first episode of The Bear. (gasps) Okay. I also haven't watched The Bear, but I love that Jeremy Allen White. Oh, my goodness. The first episode, you kind of feel like you're in the kitchen with them, especially when he, like, I can't tell if that's actually his brother or not. So people are like, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. But when he's getting, like, screamed at by uh-huh. the worker and then he has this, like, this knife that goes, ugh, you oh, just, gosh. you have to watch it. Oh, So I watched that first episode okay. and just him, like, moving so much. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Yeah. You kind of, it kind of, like, the just... W- Imagine working in a kitchen like that. Mm-mm. And that's how most really yes. successful, ro- I mean, like Hell's Kitchen. What is it? Hell's Kitchen yeah. by Gordon Ramsay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. What are you listening to right now? Oh, Hosea. <laughs> I love, love my life. <laughs> What's your favorite song? Work song. That's so good. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm constant. I'm Google searched like alerts for him for when tickets go on sale because oh, I've got know. to got to do it he's he just put in new, two new tour dates in Stop. dallas Stop. irving texas all right well i guess i'll be yin and han down <laughs> in texas what are you eating right now my mom made some really great makluba which is like a mm. palestinian dish and it means to to turn or to like to flip Ooh. so you you put a bunch of stuff like chicken rice eggplant carrots you let it like simmer for like seven eight hours and then when it's done you flip it delicious it's so good yeah you'll have to bring some of that <laughs> what are you most scared of oof um hypocrisy that's really good yeah what are you most proud of how intentional i try to be mm-hmm. i love that who do you look up to this woman, her name is Nasreen Ali. She lives in Chicago, and she is a doctor by training. She was trained in Egypt, mm. but now she kind of works with young Muslim women and men in the Chicago and greater U.S. area, I guess, on uh, mm-hmm. through phone, um, on sort of like their mental health, and she combines like spiritual, intellectual, and medical practices to help so them live cool. their best life. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this, and she 
she does it from the soul. Like I'm like that is somebody who's living their purpose. Like, do truly. you want to give her a shout out one more time? What was her name? Doctor Nisreen Ali. Mm. What are you most looking forward to? Ooh, um, I seeing the outcomes for the Bilal scholarship by 2024. Oh my gosh! Yeah. When does that? When is that coming out? When do we know? Um, I think we'll know hopefully by January 1st, uh, maybe before, but. We've been working super, super hard on trying to get more donors involved and kind of just cementing the Bilal scholarship so that we can do the proverbial passing of the yes, baton. Yes, yes. <laughs> Pass it on. Why do you love our community? Lexington is a community that has poured so much into me. And it's one of those places that you kind of don't know what you did to deserve growing up in it. Like mm. I have felt the love of this community since I was a child, especially at the mosque. Mm-hmm. And you kind of love what loves you. So it's very. it was a very simple process for me. Why do you love yourself? Um, hmm. Why do I love myself? I think I do things that really show myself, like I show respect to myself and I try to love myself through... Um, kind of like servicing, being of service to God and service to others. And I think that that love naturally comes because you're doing it from a pure place or you're trying to. Adele, thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when the scholarship news comes out and everything is like moving and grooving, let's have you back in here. Yes. And we can chat more about it. I'm so down. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I will see you next time. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Do Good Radio Hour, brought to you by Bluegrass Community Foundation. We'll be back next week right here on Radio Lex, or you can listen to us anytime on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at BGCFKY, or visit us at BGCF.org to stay up to date on all of the latest giving and do good opportunities in our community. Until next time, I'm Courtney Turner. Do good and be well. You are listening to the Do Good Radio Hour on Radio Lex, WLXU 93.9 LP FM Lexington. Our theme song is Happy Tune, written and performed by Brother Smith. The views expressed on this podcast are not necessarily the views of Radio Lex, its board of directors, or Bluegrass Community Foundation. The views expressed are solely my own and the guests'.